All right, so this pattern was broke earlier this year, but I do, I asked Pastor Cody if I could preach once a year at least, and it be on this Sunday, because this Sunday, August 12th, last year was August 13th, is my anniversary Sunday from when I moved from Chicago area, actually Indiana, Northwest Indiana, to Rice Lake. So, yes. So tomorrow, actually, will be year number three completed of being here, which is crazy to think about because I thought I'd only be here for a year, but here I am, three years in, and the Lord's been so faithful. Okay, so I think um, I decided this probably like a a month or two in my um, time here in Rice Lake, that I had to kind of record my happenings in Rice Lake. It's very different. I don't know if you know this about me, but I'm a city person, okay? So living in the Northwoods is very unique. It's almost a culture shock at times, okay? It's not quite, quite li- like living in a different country, but it is crazy, okay? So I'm from, I mean, I lived Northwest Indiana since I was four, suburb life. Went to school downtown Chicago. Okay. <laughs> then I'm, and I told the Lord, well, you don't tell the Lord anything, but we kind of had this conversation. I was like, I really don't feel called anywhere specific, Lord, so I'm willing to go wherever, even if it was across seas. But I, I literally remember saying this to other people, but I just don't want to go anywhere colder than I already live. <laughs> and I applied to churches in Florida and California because I thought if I saw a palm tree on my way to work every day, I would think I'm on vacation for at least a year, Okay. Um, I didn't even apply for this job. Pastor Cody called me, and so the Lord's like, no, not palm trees, but pine trees, okay? (laughs) So I was here, but I decided early on that, like, maybe one day I'll write a book of all my memoirs of a city boy who moved to the North Woods. So I'm going to share a couple of my chapter titles and what stories you might find in, in there, if that's all right with you this morning. Is that good? Good, because that's my whole intro, okay? So, (laughs) all right, so chapter one, I would call it, How Do I Put This On? Some of you might know this story. It's probably my most infamous story about moving to the Northwoods. So this took place week number one. I don't know if you know this, but Pastor Cody and I are second cousins. So that's how I knew about this church. Otherwise, I probably never would have heard about it. We knew each other very loosely. Um, And the first week I was here, I moved up. Of course, Pastor Cody um, was giving me a hard time because things were very different. He just likes to tease. I don't know if you know him at all, but he likes to tease. So, you know, anything new that would come up, he would tease. Well, him and his family were staying at a home on Long Lake with my other cousin. This is Becky. She's my first cousin. She has a family of, I think, seven now or eight, seven or eight. And they were staying with them in this huge home on Long Lake. So I was actually working, trying to figure out stuff. But on Friday night, I drove up there to stay with them. So first of all, I drove up there. And there's no other cars on the road. And it's like in the middle of nowhere. And I get there, and I was like, that was so frightening. And Cody was like, what? And I'm like, I just pictured this man coming out of the woods with like a knife in his mouth and like going to come attack. And it was just funny because they were making fun of me, of course, because he's like, you're way safer up here than you ever were in Chicago. Because you guys, I didn't know this, but y'all are scared of Chicago. I'm horrified of no, like, 
barren land and woods. So just a funny comparison. So they were already teasing me about that. We all went to bed after a couple hours and then woke up in the morning, and my cousin and I were、um, going to go for a run. And so, of course, they were continually talking about this different perspective. And so they're like, "Oh, well, don't forget the bear spray when you go on your run." And I'm like, "Yeah, you're, you're catching on what this title means, aren't you?" <laughs> And I'm like, "Ha ha ha! Very funny. That's a joke, you know." Because I, they were already teasing me about all the differences of being a city boy. And Becky lives in even more remote than Rice Lake area in Wisconsin. So I was like, "Okay, ha ha ha." So we go and we change and we get ready. And they're like, "No, really, you need to, you need bear spray." And I'm like, "Are you guys, are you guys pulling my leg? Because once I believe that there's such a thing called bear spray, they're going to tell me that it doesn't exist, and I'm not falling for another." Joke. So I was like, okay, yada yada, and they're like, no, really. So then my cousin Becky hands me the thing of bear spray, and I'm like, are you kidding? So I just looked at her, and I'm like, well, how do I put it on? <laughs> and that's exactly what they did, except they couldn't breathe for about five minutes, and I was like, I knew it. I knew this was all a joke. Okay, I still didn't have a clue what what was so funny, and they're like, this isn't. I thought it was repellent. I thought you spray it on like bug repellent, and I'm like, that's what sounded so foreign in my mind. I was like, what kind of bear isn't gonna is gonna stay away with like a certain smell or something? Anyway, come to find out, it's not repellent. It's like pepper spray. Okay, so just in case any of you are from the city, bear spray is like a weapon. You don't put it on yourself, or you will be in big trouble. Okay, <laughs> so that's my first chapter, and.、Um, The funny thing is, Becky posted this story. This is a picture of that day, and all my family who are from the city, so I have country family and city family. They're like, we don't get what's so funny. I had to explain it, okay? So I'm not the only one out there. Okay, chapter two is this the Hunger Games? So my first year, hunting's big up here, okay? I could probably name maybe four people that hunt that I know of in my town, and I don't know anyone who has a deer head in their home. Where I'm from, either. Okay. So first, I think November, October, November. When's youth hunt? October. November. Okay, November. Then there was November. Okay. So I scheduled something for our Christmas program on youth hunt weekend. Okay. I don't know what this is. Okay. I didn't even know this was a thing. So I show up and there was like five kids here. Okay, the ones that were too young at the time to youth hunt, <laughs> and I'm like, where is everybody? I'm like, oh great, how we're gonna do a Christmas program with five kids? I'm not sure how that's gonna work. And someone's like, oh, it's youth hunt weekend, and I'm like, what? What does that even mean? Like they're moving targets? I don't know. I just didn't know. And I'm like, is this the Hunger Games? What are we doing? And come to find out, no. And I remember calling people from college and. They were like, "What are you doing now?" And I was explaining to them, and I was like, "Yeah, they have this thing called the youth hunt." They're like, "What?" I'm like, "They take a school off for this," and they're like, "That's crazy." Okay, so that's chapter number two, all about the hunting thing. This is my kind of hunting. I found that mug at Goodwill, and I got two for one. See, look at that. That's a good hunting deal, isn't it? Okay, chapter three. Where'd the police go? So this was my first Wisconsin shirt. Says Dunkin' Donuts runs on, or Wisconsin runs on Dunkin'. Okay, many of you know that I love Dunkin' Donuts. The closest one is in Eau Claire, so it's about 45 minutes away. So 
I still do this, but especially my first year, I would take lots of trips, you know, on my free day to, like, have a feeling of um, a city, you know, <laughs> of people that live around. So I would drive to Dunkin' Donuts. It was right by the Dollar Tree. You kill two birds with one stone, okay? And I would come back, and usually it was dark. So the thing about roads up here or even highways is that there's not lights. Where I'm from, it feels like the day, no matter what time you're driving, because there's lights above you, okay? You go, I go home late at night oftentimes, and I drive through Rockford. It feels like it's noon, because there are bright lights that line the road. Well, here they don't have that. So this is, <laughs> this is where I would explain in this chapter. For like the first year, it happened to me at least three times. I'd be driving home at night from Eau Claire, and I'd have to change lanes, and all of a sudden, and I'm a, I have a heavy foot a little bit, okay? So I'd be changing lanes, and I would see flashing lights, and my heart would sink immediately, and I'm like, oh no. And I would like look around and slow down because I knew I was getting pulled over. But then as soon as I got in the other lane, there was no more flashing lights. I'm like, where did the police go? I'm not kidding you. It, it still happens to me sometimes, but it was my own flashing lights when I was changing lanes. Okay. It was blinking, and I'm like, oh no, I got caught. But it was because it was the only light for like three miles, okay? I'm like, are you kidding me? So that never happens where I'm from, because there's lights everywhere. And then my fourth chapter, the only one we're going to talk about today, is how cold is too cold. See, I even have my Wisconsin Dunkin' Donuts mug. And you people up here, well, it's cold where I'm from, so don't get me wrong, it is cold, okay? But you guys, like, don't care that it's cold. You just live your life, okay? Like this past year, now, I think this was even crazy for people up here, but Stacy's birthday is in January, Stacy Wenzel. And Pastor Cody's like, we're going to have a little party. And it was during the snowstorm, like this snowstorm. Okay, I don't, I forget, I think it's like January 5th. Like the one where people, like Culver shut down because it was so bad, okay? So, but we still had it in Soul Crowd, just a little get-together. And I was like, the only reason I was here is because I was already here working, and I couldn't get home. But I told them, I was like, if I wasn't here, I wouldn't be here. Because it's crazy. Like, you can't drive. Anyway, life doesn't shut down when it's too cold here. Your snot freezes. Kids have fun. I mean, kids, yeah. Kids are beyond me. They'll bundle up and do anything. The Nords kids, they like count down till the first snowfall. Okay, anyway. So there would be a lot that would go into this chapter too. And all of these are silly, but my hope for the book to redeem these situations would to have a devotional tied to each one. So it would be kind of like a book version of my trinkets with a truth, okay? So that would be my goal for my racing adventure, these tales. And I don't have a clear tie-in for each of those stories yet, because some of them are just too <laughs> bizarre to find a truth to pull out of, but I do have a story that ties really well that I want to share with you today, and it would fall under this chapter, How Cold is Too Cold. So because life goes on as normal for you guys up here, no matter what the temperature, um, things happen to your body that wouldn't happen to people who were normal and stayed inside when it was below zero. <laughs> okay? And one of those things is chapped lips. As I lick my lips, I'm thinking of the sermon title, Don't Lick Your Lips. It's going to happen a lot today, but 
Um, and so I'm going to share with you a, a vivid memory I have of, I think, my second winter here. So it was Sunday morning. It was cold because any time between September and May, it's cold. But it was, like, actually cold, okay? So not like Pastor Luke cold, but um, let's say Pastor Cody cold, okay? So it was cold, and a mother-daughter duo were walking in to get checked in for Sunday school. And I noticed, like, it was hard not to notice how chapped this little girl's lips were. They were super cracked, super dry. They looked painful. And, of course, what was she doing? Licking them, right? And so I said something to this duo, and I was like, wow, oh, you must have been outside, you know, trying to start conversation. And the mom, as moms do, just kind of rolled her eyes and was like, ah, I tell her to stop licking them because it's only going to make it worse. Which, of course, that's what moms do, you know, they tell them. But this is a four-year-old girl, so she's not really thinking beyond the moment. She's just kind of like, I, my lips hurt. God gave me a tongue. I'm going to provide some relief here. So as I watched them finish checking in, I started thinking about that, and I empathized with the girl. I was like, that makes sense. Like, don't be too hard on this girl, because it makes sense, right? Dry lips, licking them does provide relief for about 0.5 seconds, right? But it does provide relief, but then unfortunately, it makes things worse, right? And I was like, oh, this girl just can't, that can't she can't get past that in her mind because that other solution isn't right there and it's kind of distant, okay? But there's immediate relief right here, okay? So I was thinking about that and as the duo left, the girl going to her classroom, still licking her lips, the Lord, the Spirit prompted me and was like, Luke, how often do you do that? How often do you lick your lips, so to speak? How, do, how often do you neglect the true solution for a false solution or ignore um, something that's not right in front of you for something that is right in front of you, Okay. Where we are. Yeah, so here's some questions. And I'm, that's what I want us to think about this morning. How often do we try to satisfy ourselves with something that only makes matters worse? How often do we do something that feels or seems good in the moment, yet makes things worse the very next moment? Or how many times do we ignore the true solution for a false one? And unfortunately, when I was thinking about that question, the answer is way too many times. And really, even if you answer that question, oh, I remember that one time, which if that was one time, you can preach next Sunday, okay? But one time is too many times even, right? Why do we do that? Why do we say yes to something that's not the true solution, ignoring what we really need. So here's the question. But why do we do that? Okay? So as I was reflecting on this, asking these questions, the Spirit prompted me, I was reminded of a truth that I had learned in college. So I took the class, the book of Hebrews, okay, which is the New Testament, towards the end. And there was a a verse that really stuck out to me when the professor was teaching it, and it's Hebrews 12, 16, and 17. Um, and it says this. Um, See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, 
who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. He could bring about no change of mind, though he sought the blessing with tears. So you might be thinking, okay, what is the connection here? Chapstick to Esau. Well, we're going to talk about this story just a little bit. Um, you'll see that the author of Hebrews assumes that we already have an understanding of this story. You know that because, look, he says, as you know, okay? And if you read Hebrews at all, the author refers to the Old Testament the whole time. It's pretty much like a comparison of the Old Testament to the reality under Jesus Christ. So I'm going to assume that you have kind of a knowledge of the story of Jacob and Esau, but just in case you don't, let's review it a little bit, okay? So the story of Jacob and Esau is found, well, begins, a couple chapters, in Genesis 25. In Genesis 25, we find Rebekah, who's Isaac's wife, is pregnant with twins. Now, remember who Isaac is. We have, who is Isaac's father? Anyone know? Kids? What? Yes, good job. Abraham is Isaac's father. So Abraham is going to be these babies granddad, okay? So we have these twins inside Rebecca, and it says that they jostled within her, okay? And when she asked the question why, the Lord responded because there was going to be um, two nations coming from her womb, okay? One would serve the other, and the older, or one would be stronger than the other, and the older would serve the younger, okay? So it was prophetic. And from the moment that these twins were born, they really couldn't be much different, okay? So first was Esau, and it says that he came out red and hairy, okay? We don't know exactly what that looks like, but we're imagining red tones to his skin, rather hairy little boy, okay? And then on the heels, literally, he had grasped his brother's heels, was Jacob, okay? And we don't necessarily know what he looks like, but we can assume he wasn't hairy, okay? Because later in the story, he used that to deceive his father, and as they grew, they developed different skills. So we have Esau. He was probably more relatable to you guys. He was a hunter, okay? He was a woodsman, and he went out and hunted and was really gifted at killing game. Game's the right word, yeah? Sounds better than killing animals. Okay, so, um, and then Jacob was one who was among the tent, so more of an inside kind of guy, and was good at cooking, Okay. I can relate to him a little bit better than I can Esau. And, well, we won't go into that. Never mind. I was going to say, and that's probably a better thing because we know it ended up better for Jacob. Anyway, but, um, so we have these two brothers, and it will read what it says towards the end of chapter 25, the account that the Hebrews author was talking about. Um, it says here, 25, 29 through 34, once when Jacob was cooking some stew... Esau came in from the open country, famished. He said, Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That is why he was also called Edom. Jacob replied, first sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and lentil stew. stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised 
his birthright. There's a lot of details in the story. We're not going to focus on very many of them. We're just going to focus on what the author of Hebrews focused on, which was don't be like Esau. <laughs> okay, don't be like him. We're like, okay, well, what did he actually do? Well, first we see that he had a birthright, okay? So what's a birthright? We're not going to go into a deep detail, but that was something that was um, given to the firstborn son, usually of the first wife of the father. So Isaac's wife, Rebecca's firstborn was Esau. So he was given the birthright, and it's um, a thing of privilege and responsibility. So he experiences some of the benefits of birthright from the time he's born, but he experiences even more of that once his father dies, so in the future, okay? So he has responsibility to take care of his unwed sisters, but he also, once his father dies, gets a double portion of the inheritance than anyone else, okay? So there's benefits, and he was treated differently his whole life. So there's benefits from the time he was born, but there's even more benefits um, in the future waiting him, okay? So that's a birthright. And what did he do? He traded that for some bread and some lentil stew, okay? So <laughs> doesn't really seem to go together. Like, it's not an equal trade. It's kind of like when someone's like, I'll trade you $500 bill for those four quarters. You know what I mean? It just doesn't make sense. Like, it seems like more it's an immediate need for a little kid, but, but this is a grown man, so it just doesn't seem like a very good comparison. Actually, the next slide we see birthright, it doesn't really equal up to bread and stew. Okay, and it's bread and stew. I mean, out of all the things, you're like, really? Not like a burger and fries, at least? But it was bread and lentil stew, okay? And this is something that's really important for us to realize. It was privilege and responsibility, both for the past, his whole life, the present, he was experiencing some of those benefits, and even more so in the future. But he traded that for something that was immediate. It was a need, and we need food, right? And he was hungry, I think, he was being a little dramatic, as I read some commentaries. Like, he used an awful lot of descriptive words to be almost dying. You know, like, I think if he was actually dying, he'd be like, give me the food. Not like, please, I'm famished. I need that red stew, you know. So he was being a little dramatic. He probably wouldn't have died right away. But it was something that he did need, but it was in the present. It was something that he needed. And it also was fleeting. So he ate it, and it was gone, Okay. So here's the warning that we have. Do you see? I don't know if you're getting the tie-in for the story of the chapstick and the story of Jacob and Esau, but it's don't trade the temporary for eternal. Or here's the warning that I'm catching from these two stories. Don't trade the truth for a lie. Don't believe that here and now is all we have. Don't live in such a way that the only things you see and can fully experience in, the, experience in the moment dictates the way you act, the way you think, and the things you say. That's really important. So we see that in the chapped lip story, right? Don't lick your lips because there's something better, right? Don't do what you're urging to do because it's not the true solution. And Esau, right, don't live in the present, don't ignore what could be or what is coming for something to meet your immediate need, okay? So we see that. Don't lick your lips. Don't be like Esau. That is the warning. 
that we're going to talk about this morning. But you're probably like, well, how do I heed this warning? Okay, how do I not lick my lip, or how do I not be like Esau, living for what's to come? How do I put aside my own sinful desires? How do I resist temptation to please myself by talking bad about that person, or overeating, or spending, or looking twice at that image, or fill in the blank? How do we resist living in the moment to please ourselves, to please what we desire naturally, either our flesh or the sin or the world for what's to come. How do we do that? Oftentimes, we think the solution is this. We think, okay, I'm going to do this. Don't lick your lips. Don't lick your lips. Don't lick your lips. Don't lick your lips. But the whole time, what are you thinking about? Licking your lips, but not doing it, okay? I was sharing this sermon with my, my mom earlier this week, just running some stuff past her, and she's like, you keep saying, don't lick your lips, and all I can think of is, I want to, my lips are getting dry. My lips are getting dry. And that's so true. We do the same thing with what, what um, our sinful urges. Oh, I just licked my lips again. Mm. Um, like, don't sin, Luke. Don't sin, Luke. Or don't think about that. Or watch your tongue, watch your tongue, watch your tongue. Well, that's not the solution, okay? That's not the approach that the author of Hebrew takes, and it doesn't work. I don't know if you've tried that before, but it doesn't work, okay? It's not the way. Instead, simply put, the solution is da, 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 live by faith, okay? So that's what it is succinctly. The solution to not licking your lips or to not be like Esau is to live by faith. Now you're probably thinking, okay, well, what is faith or how do I live by faith? And more specifically, we need to know that, but we need to know what the author of Hebrews means by live by faith, okay? So if we look at Hebrews 10.38, we see that this is true. This is the answer. This is where it's found. But my righteous one will live by faith, and if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. Okay, this is the Lord speaking. It's a quote from the Old Testament. All right, so next slide. We'll see. Okay, my righteous one, question mark. How do we do that? Next slide by living by faith. Okay, so this is where we get that answer. How do we not lick our lips? Well, we live by faith. That's what the author of Hebrews is saying. All right, so now we're still wondering, okay, well, what does faith mean? Well, to understand faith, we just need a little bit of overview of the whole book of Hebrews, okay? You're probably like, wow, we've been in Genesis, now we're in the whole book of Hebrews? It's going to be real quick. Here's a little picture. Okay, so for the overview of Hebrews, we see the author of Hebrews told the original audience to remain faithful or full of faith and to follow Jesus despite present persecution and hardship. We actually don't know who the author was by name or who the audience was originally, but we do know circumstantially they were most likely going under persecution and experiencing hardship in the time. Okay, And the author was saying, be faithful to Jesus, be full of faith. And he encouraged them to do this by using the first 10 chapters to compare Jesus to the Old Testament, okay? So you see this. This is from the Bible Project. I took part of a picture from there. If you don't know the Bible Project, write it down in your notes because it's phenomenal. They go through each book of the Bible and explain the overview and some of the key points. Our um, youth Sunday school use it. Um, 
to the school year. So write it down, look it up. This is part of the book of Hebrews. So you see in chapters 1 through 2, the author compares Jesus to the angels as messengers and that Jesus was a greater messenger than the angels, carrying a greater message, okay? Then he moves on in chapters 3 to 4, comparing Jesus to Moses and showing that Jesus is a better leader to God's people than Moses was. Then he moves on to compare and contrast Jesus to the priests of the Old Testament, and he was a better priest because he was perfect. The priests had to sacrifice on behalf of them and the people. Jesus, fully God, fully man, and only had to sacrifice on behalf of the people because he himself was perfect. And then it ends that section with comparing Jesus to the sacrifice. The sacrifices of the Old Testament had to be given daily and yearly, whereas Jesus was one sacrifice for all time. So the Hebrews author is establishing this in the first 10 chapters. It's, there's only 13 chapters in Hebrews, so he takes 10 of those chapters to say, Jesus is better than anything or anyone from the Old Testament. He trumps that, okay? He's superior to anything or any system that you've experienced before. And he kind of sets them up to know these truths, okay? And then we read at the end of chapter 10 that the righteous will live by faith, okay? You know all this stuff, now you have to live by faith. Well, the audience might be like you and thinking, well, what exactly is faith? We know Jesus is better, but what is faith? Well, faith is this. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. That's Hebrews 11.1. 1. And another version I like um, from the contemporary English is faith makes us sure of what we hope for and gives us proof of what we cannot see. This is really important. We often use the um, phrase, faith is blind, right? Have you heard that before? Faith is blind. Like, you just have to believe. You don't have to see it, which I mean, this is saying you don't see everything, but it's not blind in the fact of like not being sure. It's blind in the fact that you may not see things, but you know it is true, okay? Someone might be blind, but they know that this podium's here, okay? So I might not be able to see it, but I'm sure that it's here. And that's what he's saying. You might not be able to see it, but you know the truth. You know that Jesus is better than any other system. Know that truth. Remember that truth. It's important, okay? So now he gives us some practical examples in chapters 10 or 11 through 13. But if you're still confused about what faith looks like, I have an example. Okay? It, it pales in comparison to the reality of this faith, but it is an action of faith. So let's just say that it's January 5th, okay, which is exactly one month before a really important date. Remember what it is? You remember, it's February 5th, my birthday, okay? Let's just say, <laughs> I had to throw that in somehow. Okay, so let's just say it's January 5th, and for some odd reason, this wouldn't probably what I do, but for some odd reason, I think, oh, I need to go to the store and shop, okay? If I didn't have to go out in that weather, you know me, I probably wouldn't, but let's just say, for some reason, I had to get, go to the store to get something. So I go to the mall, right here, over here, and I go to Dunham's, and I start looking through the clearance rack, okay? And I see a hoodie, which that makes sense. I could use one of those. I see a flannel. And then I come across a pair of running shorts, okay? And 
I look at them, and they're just the right size. They're my favorite brand. And I'm like, okay, I think I'm going to get these. This is a good deal. They're on clearance. Now, does that make sense in my present situation? No, it's negative 20 degrees outside, and my snot froze on the way in. All right? It was thawing as I walked into the store. So it doesn't make sense. I wouldn't, I wouldn't wear those for like another mm, five months. But I know that mm, seven months before I ran the Fishy Four on like the hottest day of the summer, and I wore a tank top and shorts, and people were passing out because it was so hot. And I know that every year, summer comes. So in faith, knowing what has happened and having hope of what will happen, I bought the shorts. I walked out, got a good deal, put them away because I wouldn't wear them for a while. But you get the idea here. I knew what had happened, and I had hope of what was going to happen, so I lived presently in light of those situations. So that's what the definition I kind of come up with, faith. Faith causes us to live in such a way that only makes sense in light of the past, the present, and the future, all centered on Jesus. We must live in light of the truth of our triune God who has eternally existed on the truths presented in his word, on the truth that Jesus is real, fully God and fully man, and live in, lived a perfect life, died a sacrificial death, and rose again. So that's the past. Those are the truths we need to know in the past. Be sure of those things. We must live currently in the reality of our current situation because of the sacrifice of Jesus and the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's where the surety comes in. You can only have assurance through the gift of the Holy Spirit, knowing what has happened is true. And we must live in light of the promise of Jesus' return, one day being fully united with our great God. So that's what living in faith looks like. We are sure of the promises, we have the gift of the Spirit that gives us that assurity, and we have hope of what's to come, that this isn't all that we have. This winter, where my snot freezes on the way to the store, isn't what I'm living in. I'm living in the truth of what has happened and the hope of what's to come. All right, so you have a kind of idea of what faith is. Sure of what you hope for, certain of what you do not see. Thumbs, thumb meter, this is what we do sometimes in science school. Yeah, okay, good. Thank you for the three people that just did that. <laughs> All right, so now the question, we have another question, is how do we live by faith? So we know don't lick your lips. We do that by living by faith. But how do we live by faith? You ready for the answer? Well, there's probably more than the three answers I'm going to give you, which is why it's great to read God's word all the time and be united with Christ in that way. But we're going to come up with three based on the last three chapters, really chapters 11 and 12 of Hebrews, some solutions, okay? First of all, in Hebrews eleven six, it says this, and without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So it's really important when we ask the question, how do I live by faith? You can't live by faith separate from Jesus Christ. And I don't want to assume that anyone in this room has already committed to follow Jesus Christ with their entire life. You can't avoid licking your lips, or you can't avoid not being like Esau. You can't avoid living in the present apart from Jesus Christ. 
You have to believe that he did come, that God has eternally existed, sent his one and only son that we're in need of, whom we're in need of, died on the cross as a perfect sacrifice, rose again, and when we confess with our mouth and believe with our heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, we have new life in him. And then we're able to do what I'm going to speak about the rest of the time. But that's really important. And if you don't know that truth or believe that truth or have that foundational faith, if you're not sure that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, then I really want to encourage you, don't leave this morning without talking to someone around you. Or if you need to find me or another Pastor Eric here. Because that's the, that's the foundation. If you don't have foundational faith in Jesus Christ, you can't live by faith. Because you don't have, you can't, it's impossible to please God without faith. So you don't have that knowledge of believing what Jesus Christ has done. And you don't have that hope for the future. All you have is the here and now and that you've looked around lately, is not really exciting or full of promise. So that's the first thing. It's impossible to live by faith separate from Jesus Christ. But for those of you who have that foundational faith, who do believe in Jesus Christ and your Lord and Savior, we're going to look through um, chapters, the rest of chapter 11 through 12, and we have three points we're going to hit. So first, we have to remember to remember we have to look to Jesus, and we have to trust the heart of God. All right, so a lot of you are probably familiar with Hebrews 11. Does anyone know what sometimes we call Hebrews 11? The hall of faith, because it's full of, it's not an exhaustive list, but it's full of examples from the Old Testament. Remember, our author liked Old Testament. Examples of how they lived out faith. Okay, so we see Noah, who was someone who definitely lived in light of what was to come and not his present situation. Remember him? He built a boat because a huge flood was coming. Did he start the boat when it was raining and pouring down? No. He started that task under the Lord's authority and faith of what was to come. And we see um, Moses, or Abraham, let's go with Abraham first, he comes before Moses. And he left his home by faith, trusting God, to go, who knows where, he didn't know when he started off, to obey the Lord. Okay, so he lived in faith, knowing what was to come, trusting the Lord. Well, he didn't know what was to come, he had hope of what was to come. And we also see Moses, and I love Moses um, account in this chapter. I encourage you around your lunch table, maybe read this chapter and see how many times it, by faith is mentioned. And remember, if you can remember all the stories from the Old Testament. But in Moses, it says that he neglected the pleasures of being Pharaoh's son, the temporary pleasures for um, following the Lord, and, and gave up the pleasures of his life he could have had for the persecution to lead God's people out of Egypt. Whew, okay, so these are good examples, right? They ignored their present situation in light of what has happened, who their God was, and what was to come. All right, and I, I want to mention the, this too. You can go to the next slide. I capitalize history because really these people aren't all around great examples with their entire life, right? We can look to everyone in the Bible besides Jesus and be like, wow, they were human. All of these men have 
instances where they slipped up big time. So it's not like, oh, I want to be like Noah because he's a great person in and of himself. More, it's I want to be like Noah and Abraham and Moses who followed a God who is faithful to them. And I want to have a faith that shows how great my God is. Okay, so it's really his story, God's story, right? We see how he was faithful in their lives. They're not great in themselves, but the Lord gave them grace to have faith. So it's important for us to remember to remember. That's the command. We so often forget the truth of God's word in these stories. So it's important for us to be continually in God's word, recording these things, remembering them, rehearsing them. That's why we have Sunday school. That's why we have Awana. That's why we meet every Sunday. That's why we encourage quiet time to get in the word faithfully. Because God has given us great examples of faith really of his faithfulness to his people and how living in faith is totally worth it. All right? Another application with this is we needed this on a personal level. So two weeks ago, we had family celebration Sunday. Good side. This, this side over here was way better than this side. Okay? And we challenge you to personally record how the Lord's been faithful in your life so that you remember because it's really important. This is what living by faith means, is remembering the past, being sure of that. And I don't know about you, but I've gone through seasons where I'm unsure of God's truth or God's goodness. Not rightly, but sometimes in our present moment, we get blinded. But there are some stories that I remember of God's direct faithfulness or direct answer to prayer or how he showed up that really impact my present situation. So I want to challenge you. This is important. This is part of remembering to remember. Record those things. Tell those stories. One way in which uh, <laughs> the Lord's done this, okay, I don't think there's very many good things that come with technology, but there's a view, okay? The cons way outweigh the pros, in my opinion, but there's one thing. We'll go to the next slide. There's one thing that I like. I have an app on my phone. It's called Time Hop. So it shows me what I did on a certain day the years pass, okay? This was on my, on my time hop this morning. This was three years ago I posted this picture today. Three years ago today. This was in my home in Indiana. This was how I announced to the people that I was leaving that I was coming here, okay? It was August 12th. It was hot. I thought it'd be funny, like, ha-ha, I'm in my winter clothes, going to Rice Lake. So that was 2015. And I was thinking, I was like, this is great. This is reminding me. I had no idea what I was getting. This is, I had never been to Rice Lake before I moved here, okay, which I don't suggest doing in the future, but whatever. Okay, so I'd never been here, and this was an act of faith. I, and I share this story not because I think I'm a great act of faith. Actually, my run yesterday was like, oh my goodness, that will be three years ago tomorrow. I took that picture. And I thought, wow, this will really hit home that it's not about the person who displays faith, it's about God. Because I know myself, and I would probably never put myself on a display for faith, right? And I imagine that Moses and Abraham and Noah were the same way because we know our humanness, we know our sinfulness. I know that I'm so undeserving of God's grace in my life and that I'm a really nasty person, have really nasty thoughts and judge people, and all those things. Like, I know that I am only saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. So that's why I shared this, and that's why I think, wow, it's really not about the person who displays faith. But 
God's spirit goes beyond ourselves. And I knew at this point in my life, like, you know what? God has been faithful in my life thus far, and he has been very clear to lead me where I've been, and he's prepared me for stuff. So even if this commitment turns out to be awful, a couple things. Great learning experience. My prayer life will improve greatly, okay? And I'll have some great stories to tell, okay? So, but, but really the reality was, I know my God, and I'm going to trust him. And presently, in that present situation, it was the only conversation I had with a church that I had peace with. So I trusted the Holy Spirit, who was guiding me in the present moment, okay? And I had hope of things to come. So I was like, even if this is bad, when I was here, I don't know if you knew this, but my original commitment was just to be here for a year. So I was like, you know, there's an end time. And if nothing else, I know at the very end of time, I'm going truly home. So, you know, how bad could it be? So this is, but I like this because it reminds me, this is something I, I'll have permanently because it's on the web, the World Wide Web, so it's probably not ever going to disappear. But I can point back to this moment in my life until if the Lord ever blesses me with children. Okay, look at this is what God did in my life. And I'd never been to this place, but I knew who my God was. He had given me the spirit to guide me. And I had hope for what was to come, even if it was really bad. So I challenge you, you don't, we gave a lot of examples of like writing your story down. Maybe that's not your deal. Maybe you're not a writer, okay? Maybe you take selfies, okay? But whatever it is, remember to remember how God has been faithful in your life so that when you are in that present time, like, I'm going to tell you, it hasn't been all peaches and cream. My first year here, my first winter here was probably the loneliest I've ever been. It was hard, but the Lord brought me through. And even in that, I can point back and say, wow, I want to live by faith because it's totally worth it. Second point, we need to look to Jesus. If you look at the beginning of chapter 12, verses 1 through 2, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders in the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Okay, that's a lot of information. We could have done a whole sermon on that, okay, but we we don't have time for that. So, Look to Jesus. Remember to remember and look to Jesus. Jesus is the one our faith is built upon. Okay, so if you look to Jesus, the first part of that is to rid ourselves of things that are second best or sinful. Okay, it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, reflecting on chapter 11, let us throw off things that hinder. So that doesn't necessarily mean sin, just possibly second best, right? It's hindering you from the race and the sinful things, so throw those away, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fix our eyes on Jesus. So you're not living in the present in that, right? You're taking off things that presently distract you and the sinful nature that we're presently stuck in, and we're fixing our eyes on Jesus, who is the starter and the finisher of our faith. Not only is he the starter and finisher, he is the greatest example of living by faith. That's what it says. He endured the cross for what was to come. 
Okay, so I get chills, just got chills thinking about that. Jesus is our greatest example of living by faith. He said, he, he was fully human, remember that, so he experienced the pain that he experienced, just like you and I would experience if someone whipped us, nailed us to the cross. Those were things that he truly did experience, but he said, I'll go through that for the hope to come, okay? He's our greatest example. So that was point number two. We need to look to Jesus. Point number three is trust the heart of God. So we're going to take a look at 12 verses 6 and 7a, right? Talks about, it says this, because the Lord disciplines those he loves and punishes everyone he accepts as sons. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. So this is another important part. We have to trust the heart of God, because we go through difficult situations. Anyone here ever had a rough day? Yes. Some of us have had rough days because that's just how life goes. Some of us have had, like, really rough days, like death has knocked on our doors, or we've had a loved one pass away, or we've been um, persecuted for our faith. I think we have a kind of minor idea what that looks like here, but maybe you were bullied at school for standing up for truth or whatever. So we go through, through tough times. But this verse says have a different view of that, okay? Because the Lord disciplines those he loves. And this is a saying that I, I was told in college by one of my favorite professors. Um, we had experienced a death in our college. Um, a student had drowned in our pool, actually, and we were just processing that one day. And she was sharing with us as we were all grieving as a community. And she says, when you don't understand God's hand or what's happening, you have to trust God's heart. So when we don't understand what's going on in our current situation, we might, might not know what's going on often, but we have to trust God's heart. And we know that he is good. We know that he's faithful. We know that he's in control. And we know his ways are higher than ours. Okay, so that's the first point I want us to know under this. I also don't want us to believe the lie of entitlement, that obedience equals a great and easy life. Because we like to think that as humans. I like to think that, right? In school, we're trained to think that. When I was in second grade, this is weird. My teacher, Mrs. Gorball, I was scared over the first day, but she had, we had like a money exchange system, a reward system, and they were cat heads. That was what they were. Isn't that weird? They had little paper cut out cat heads. I'm like, I don't know if she loved cats or if she hated cats, okay? Like, here, you get a cat head. <laughs> so that was our exchange system, because so if we behaved well, we got a little cat head. If we disobeyed, we had to get a cat head taken away. Wow, it sounds even weirder as I'm saying it out loud. That's bizarre. Okay. And then at the end of the month, we'd have a little store with cat head money, okay? <laughs> so that, we're trained to think that way, right? We behave a certain way, or things in our circumstance we get rewarded. Well, that's not, obedience doesn't always equal a reward right now, okay? It's not immediate. So we have to retrain our ways of thinking that. Our reward is coming when we walk in obedience to Jesus Christ, but that doesn't mean that our circumstances are butterflies and rainbows, certainly. And we see that if we remember to remember. Also, I was reminded of James 1, 2, and 3 as I was thinking about this point, where it says this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. 
Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. This goes along really well with um, chapter 12 of Hebrews. So oftentimes, well, thankfully, the Lord always redeems our situation, right, and uses what could be bad to teach us, to grow us, and to develop the faith that he's called us to. We can be walking through the deepest valley, and he's like, remember who Jesus is. I've given you the Spirit, and aren't you thankful there's something better coming? So, in review, the command is don't lick your lips. The Lord is beckoning you. Don't live in the here and now. Don't appease your sinful selves because there is something better. Instead, live by faith. Live in such a way that only makes sense in light of the past, present, and the future, all centered on Christ. Do this by remembering to remember, looking to Jesus, and trusting the heart of God. Join me in prayer. Lord, we thank you that this right here is not all that we have. We thank you for the rich truth of your word that you sent Jesus Christ for us. Lord, and that in him, when we're united in him, we know that there is something greater coming. And I ask, Lord, through the power of your spirit that you would allow us to forgo the pleasures of this world, to say no to sin that urges us every day, to endure hardships, Lord, of what it looks like to truly live out our faith in this day and age with the boldness that we can only have in the Spirit. And may we live with our eyes fixed on Jesus, fully trusting your heart every step of the way. Lord, give us strength, give us understanding, give us ways in which we can truly live by faith. In Jesus' name, amen. So, I do have something in here, all right? Ta-da! It's a little chapstick. And it says on here, a little label, it says, don't lick your lips, live by faith, remember to remember, look to Jesus, and trust the heart of God. And on your way out, I want each single person in here, no matter your age, there's little brown paper bags at each door, so I want you to grab one and take it. The sticker might have been falling off, so just make sure it's on there real good. And I want you to put this in a place where you remember to live by faith. That this isn't the only day we're living for, right? It's the only day we're given, but it's not the only day we're living for. We're living for the hope that's to come. And may we live by faith by remembering, looking to Jesus, and trusting the heart of God. So this is a good example. I'm going to put some on because my lips are dry. Okay? And may you remember the truths from this morning. So don't forget this. At this time, I am going to invite the worship team up and those who are helping with communion.